early in, in the new message series that's directed at spiritual growth through things like prayer and Bible reading and serving or discipleship. And during the month of January in the past, we've also spent some time reviewing the Bethesda mission statement. Well, this year's a little different. You've heard us say that once or twice. But it is a little different. And Pastor David and I jump right back into our study of John's Gospel. And one of the reasons that we made that decision has to do with how the the message plan laid out. You see, if all goes according to plan, we'll be at the resurrection of Jesus in today. That's perfect. Of course, as I thought about that, you know, all it will take is a snow day or some other unexpected interruption and our plans could be foiled. Even with everything lining up, though, I've had this this nagging desire to go back and touch on our mission statement or or some other area of spiritual growth as this month of January has progressed. And so I decided this morning to improvise. We're going to be in John's Gospel today, as I already mentioned, but we're going to do it kind of as a sort of Bible study 101. We're going to demonstrate a, a method of how to read your Bible. And I'll finish the, me- the message with a few words concerning our mission statement. And if all this works, great. If not, it was Pastor David's idea. <laughs> this is payback for a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so let's start with Bible study. Let's talk about Bible study. You know, regular Bible reading is very essential to growth in our faith. And, and yet so many people rarely open up their Bible. And that's very sad, and the the biggest reason that I hear for someone not reading their Bible is they say, I don't understand it. And there are times when that statement is true. Sometimes things in the Bible are difficult to understand, but very often that statement is an excuse. We can all get something out of the Bible when we open it. You know, reading your Bible can be like a day at work or a day at school or just a day around the house. You never can be sure exactly what's going to happen, what you're going to see next. Many days are routine, no surprises. But other days, other days can be exciting, they can be challenging, they can be fun, they can be convicting, and even sometimes confusing. The Bible is God's great drama of redemption. It's the true story of God reaching down to redeem his people. And the fact is, is when you open up your Bible and you read through it, you don't always know what to expect. For example, a Bible passage could be convicting. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? We talked about the challenge of obedience last week. The Bible is also encouraging. Romans 8.16 states, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You and I are God's children. The kingdom of God, heaven, is our inheritance. Scripture can also sometimes be mysterious. I think we probably have all opened up the Bible and read it sometime and come to a passage that we don't quite understand. You know, for example, God exists as three persons 
one God. How does that work? Our God is sovereign. God chooses. He predestines. And yet, you and I make decisions to accept Christ. Both of those are true and very mysterious. Are we just packing through Christmas? How does a virgin conceive? Or this is one I think we could all ask. How can God love a sinner like me? And then there are those, those passages that are just what I would call really rich. There is so much in them. They can be mysterious, encouraging, and convicting all at the same time. And the passage that we read just a moment ago from John 15 is one of those passages that I would say is really rich. You know, John 15, verses 1 through 17, is an amazing passage. It's a very famous passage. But I have to confess, I've preached it before, and it's one that I always struggle to share in a message. It, it never seems to come out quite the way it should. And, and I, I walk away from it feeling so inadequate. But then I'm also reminded that God can come, overcome any of our inadequacies. So John 15 is, this, is the passage we're going to use this morning to walk through a, a very simple Bible study method. So we're going to be looking at John 15 and talking about that passage. At the same time, I'm going to be showing you a way that maybe you already know of how to read your Bible. A few minutes ago, before we read the passage, I asked you to think of questions that come to mind. As you heard those words, what what would you have liked to ask Jesus as he was sharing them? And that's the first step in studying a passage. We observe. We observe what's in the passage by sometimes just asking questions, by looking for key words, by seeing who's in the passage. And then next, we interpret the passage. What's, what's the passage saying? What does it mean? And then finally, we apply it to our life. And application is the, the so what. So what does this passage mean to me in my life? How am I to respond what, to what God is doing, what God has said, what God has done? And so as we look at John 15 this morning, I'm going to kind of walk us through this observe, interpret, and apply method. You can sit back today and, and just listen. But that being said, you know, I am confident that if you went home today and opened your Bible to John, that you could walk through this very simple process yourself. And my guess is that many of you already observe, interpret, and apply Bible passages whenever you read it, and you don't even think about it. Observation often begins by looking at the characters, the, the people in the passage. And John 15 is, again, kind of different there. It's all about this vine stuff. So our first question might be, what's the deal with all this vine and vine dresser and branch talk? It's a fair question. It's a good observation. Jesus said in our first two verses, he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Jesus said he is the true vine. And we might ask, well, what does that mean? What does he mean when he says, I am the true vine? And that question then leads us to kind of interpret a passage. And to do so, in this case, we might rely on a study Bible. 
Study Bibles often give you the context or background of a passage, and, and those things are useful in understanding what the passage is saying. It, it helps to, to kind of know what was going on at the time that was written in their frame of mind. My Bible study pointed out that in the Old Testament, Israel was compared to a vine. Pastor David's reading from Isaiah earlier spoke of Israel being the vine. And if you listen to that passage, and you know anything about Israel, they weren't a very strong vine. The Jewish people consistently failed God. Like us, they disobeyed God. And that's why Jesus said that he was the true vine. You see, Jesus is what Israel failed to be. Jesus is like the perfect Israelite. God is the vine dresser. He's the one who oversees everything. He cares for the vine. And then we, we are the branches. Our life comes from the vine, from Jesus. And so if you think about that, it's easy to see how this part of the passage applies to us. Like Israel, we are disobedient. But as followers of Christ, we seek to be more like Jesus, and we realize that we need Jesus. He is the source of our life. The next questions of observation might be, well, who are the branches that don't bear fruit, and what happens to them? Jesus said the, fruit that don't, the branches that don't bear fruit are taken away, and he said more later. A, a good interpretation of that is to realize that not everyone who looks like a Christian is a Christian. Some are what we might call pretenders. They appear to be part of the vine. They appear to be part of the faith, but they're just pretending to be Christians. They've not trusted in Jesus. Pretenders don't bear fruit. Jesus spoke of the fate of these pretenders in verse 6. He said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What he's saying is these pretenders are headed towards judgment. Their destination is hell. And that sounds so harsh. But the truth of the matter is you either belong to Jesus or you don't. There's no middle ground. And as we apply Jesus' words to our life, we realize that we have either trusted our life to Jesus or we haven't. And if we haven't trusted, we ask God to open our heart to the truth. That's how we apply this passage to our life. We are convicted. We realize that we need God, and we ask God to open our heart. And the second thing, and, and this is so important to remember, don't give up on pretenders. Many of us were pretenders. Some of us are still pretenders. Judging is not our job. There are no lost causes with God. The most fierce atheist or the biggest pretender can come to Christ because you know what? It, it happens all the time. The next observational question might be, well, what is pruning? What is pruning? Well, to help us interpret what it means to prune, we just look at Jesus' practical example. He gives it to us right there in the passage. If you think about it, gardeners prune roses, bushes, trees, grapevines, and all sorts of other plants. They do it to encourage growth. They do it to encourage more fruit. See, after the grapes are harvested, the vines are typically then cut back. Pruning results in more grapes by reducing the number of branches. It just kind of makes sense. If you left those extra branches on the plant, they would use nutrients 
that would be better used in producing grapes. Now I have to stop here because before we go any further, Jesus said something very important in verse 3. He said to his disciples, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. See, the disciples were clean. They were saved. They already belonged to Jesus. To be clean means our sins have been forgiven. Our relationship with God is good. God loves you. He loves me just as we are. Just as we are. He won't stop loving us. But God wants us to grow. He, he wants us to bear fruit. And he does that by pruning. Jesus said every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, pruning is one of those things, if you apply to your life, if you kind of do a life application of this, it's not always exciting. I have never heard anyone ever say, I can't wait until God prunes me. It's going to be so much fun. And we don't say that because we know the fact is, is that pruning can hurt. It sometimes hurts. Like pruning plants, pruning involves often something being taken away. It could be your job. We go through a tough time, but eventually we find a new job. We maybe learn a new skill. We grow in faith, and perhaps we serve a new group of people. Pruning could also be the loss of a close friend through a move. We're forced to make new friends. We might end up discipling one of those new friends. Pruning can sometimes happen with an illness like COVID. And this is a tough one. We would not wish COVID on any single person. But if we've had it, God could use us to help someone else through it. We could assure them that God would be with them just like he was with us. Pruning might take us from a ministry we love. God's got something new for us to do. He'll help us make a greater difference. Richard Phillips is a commentator. He wrote about God's pruning in this way. He said, The Father applies the pruning knife to our priorities and values and strips away relationships that would hinder our faith. It's important to note that this is not punishment, but vine dressing. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, it says this, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. James 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What that's saying is that God's discipline and the trials that you and I face might be pruning. You might have noticed when I read this passage that there's a word that shows up many, many times. Anybody got that word? Just go ahead and shout it out. Abide. Abide. In 17 verses, Jesus used the word abide 11 times. 11 times. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He said, a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. He said, abide in my love, abide in my Father's love. Your fruit should abide. And if you think about it, that's a whole bunch of abiding. 
And part of when we read the Bible, the observation part of what's in a passage is to think about repeated words. Do you think Jesus wants us to abide? You see, when we read our Bible, God sometimes makes it very easy to get the point. He repeats his message to us over and over again. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good because sometimes I'm a slow learner. And so the question we might ask is, what does it mean to abide? What's it mean to abide? Well, interpreting that is very easy. Jesus told us many times in the passage. He said that a fruit, a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. It has to stay attached. It has to be connected. The vine provides life to the branch. At the very simplest level, to abide is to remain committed to Jesus. It's a commitment. And yet abide is, is such a, a rich word. There is depth to abiding in Jesus. Jesus said to abide in my love, and he added that we should abide in the Father's love. We're deeply loved by Jesus. He loves you. It also means that we're called to love Jesus with everything in us. We're to abide in him. So there's this mutual indwelling the, the two can't be separated from one another. The Apostle Paul, if you ever read his writings, he loved to use the words, in Christ. And being in Christ means that we are united in Christ in every possible way. We're in union with Christ. And that's abiding. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's abiding. The, the so what, the application of abiding is to love Jesus and commit your life to him. I want to give you a, a very not beautiful picture of abiding, but in a, a practical sense, abiding in Jesus equals soaking in Jesus. Brought in this morning my car washing bucket and a sponge. And we're like the sponge, and Jesus is kind of like the, the water in this bucket. When we're not committed to Jesus, we're kind of like a dry sponge. You can squeeze it, nothing comes out, there's no fruit in our life. But if you put the bucket in a, the, the sponge in a bucket of water, the sponge soaks in the water. And in the same way, we soak in Jesus. He is in us. We're in union with him. We're abiding in Jesus, and Jesus is abiding in in us, the sponge and the water are almost like one. And then when I squeeze the sponge and the water comes out, think about it as that water coming out is Jesus pouring out, pouring out of our life. Jesus is pouring out his fruit that he has produced through our life. And it kind of brings us to the last question. It's still a very important question. It's another one of the words that showed up a bunch of times is, what are the fruit? Now, before we talk about the fruit, though, we've got to remember one very important thing. It's the vine. It's Jesus who produces the fruit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you and I can't produce our own fruit. We can't bear our fruit on our own. We need Jesus. He produces his fruit through you and I. And we said it earlier, it was in this passage that producing fruit proves that you and I belong to Jesus. 
And so the application and interpretation of fruit bearing is very straightforward. First, fruit bearing shows up in our obedience. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus' obedience to the Father provides an example for you and I to follow. Now, we'll never be as obedient as Jesus. We will never be perfectly obedient. And yet our obedience to Jesus bears witness to him. When somebody looks at us, we've said this a bunch of times, but it's very true, they should see something of Jesus in us. Bearing fruit also shows as we love others. In verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus repeated that same idea in verse 17. He said, These things I command you so that you will love one another. We're to love each other with a sacrificial love. And we live, in, we live in a world that is incredibly me first. And Jesus calls us to be radically different. To love others. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of others. Jesus said we are to love our enemies. Guess what? We don't agree with everybody. Nobody agrees with everybody. But we love them. He said pray for those. In our lives, people come against us. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not, but we are to pray for them. If we love other people, we will seek what is best for them. And what's best for them is to know Jesus is their Lord and Savior. So, in other words, we bear fruit as you and I share our faith. And when we bear that fruit, it also glorifies God. Jesus said in our passage, he said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. As we live in obedience, as we love other people, we actually bring glory to God. And what's amazing is there's even an added blessing in all this for us. As we abide in Jesus, we're joy-filled. He said, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Or some versions say that your joy may be complete. And what that means is you and I get to see God at work. We can see the fruit of our labor. And we become Jesus' friends. Jesus said to his disciples, and ultimately to you and I, he said, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. There's a great old hymn called, says, What a friend we have in Jesus. He is our friend. Jesus also said, if we abide in him, he will give us what we ask. And a lot of times we read that passage, and boy, that sounds like a tickets to millions. The lottery was pretty high this last week, so if I just pray that I win the lottery, is Jesus going to give me what I ask? Not how it works. When we abide in Jesus, when we align ourselves with God's will, God's desires become our desires. Our prayer is that God's will would be done. 
And it is. We do receive what we ask. We're filled with joy. Well, congratulations. You all have just completed a Bible study by observing, interpreting, and applying. Now your assignment is to try it this week on your own. And I also promised that I was somehow going to work it in and tie it to the Bethesda mission statement, and so I'm going to do that. Our Bethesda mission statement says, in Christ we love people, we impact our community, and we make disciples. And this fits really well because we just said earlier, remember that to be in Christ is to abide in Christ. So in abiding in Christ, we do these things. We already said that loving people is one of the ways that we bear fruit. Loving people also means that we're active in our community. There are so many opportunities to impact our community. The community around this church, the community where you live, the community where you work or go to school. You know, I just talked about a way to impact our community today, the Pregnancy Help Center. We can pray for the unborn. We can give of our money. We can provide baby supplies. We can volunteer. This summer we might have some outdoor projects um, at the Pregnancy Help Center. Another way is our church is very supportive of an organization called Feed My People. We've had three food drives this year. They were greatly successful. But the fact of the matter is, is you can always donate food. They'll always take it because the need never goes away. And Feed My People, I know, uses volunteers as well. We're again working with a nearby public school, Beerbaum Elementary. And due to COVID, the students are not allowed to share crayons at school. And I got an email from them last week. They need crayons. Not all the kids have crayons. And so if you want to support Beerbaum, sometime before Wednesday morning, or by Wednesday morning, drop off some crayons and here at church, and we'll get them to the students. And then finally, making disciples is one of the most powerful fruit that we can bear. And it begins by simply sharing our story with others, sharing our faith with others. Intentionally invest in another person. Invite them to church. Bring them to church. Get them into one of our community groups. And do ministry together. In other words, serve together. And God will use you to make disciples who then make disciples. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And that, my friends, is amazing news. We have been chosen by God. Jesus loves us. We're to abide in his love. Love God with everything in you and know that Jesus has appointed us to bear fruit. And every day provides new opportunities to show the love of Jesus to another person. Don't waste a day. Let us pray.